Welcome to the Owls on Culture podcast, where two generations of owls, Michael the dad, me, and Hank the son, discuss the latest in movies, plays, books, video games, and more. Welcome to the Owls on Culture podcast. I am your co-host, Michael Owl, and I am here with... Hank Owl. Hank Owl, what are we doing today? We are doing a summer a recap. I, I Let's say summer recap podcast. We've taken a break from recording podcasts for the summer. I will leave you to question whether that break was on purpose or we just <laughs> didn't record any podcasts. I think it started this, we just didn't record any podcasts and then went into being on purpose. <laughs> but we'll be back on for the fall. Don't you worry. You'll have us in your ear holes to talking about movies and miscellaneous things. That's exactly right. And we are recording this on the last day of summer vacation. Yes, I go to I start high school tomorrow. Da, da, da. I know. It's awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm not like internally panicking. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no, but what, what what we set up for you is we've run we've wrote down we've written down the movies we've watched over the summer, some of them, the new, the new releases that we watched on time, and some other miscellaneous things we did during the summer, and we other put them cultural things, right? Yes, yes. Um, and we put them in a little hat, and we're gonna pull stuff out. We're gonna talk for a good bit about the different things we pull out, and then we might go into like a nice speed round for some of the other stuff. That's exactly right. Just to make sure we get to everything, but obviously there's enough time to talk about everything at with an equal amount of time. So do you want to pull the first one from the bucket? Yes. All right, let's do it. Big money, big money, big What's money. What's it going to be? It's going to be Anthony Bourdain, which is written down and is referring to uh, Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. Which is a documentary that was released, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks ago that we went to see. Uh, we've probably talked about Anthony Bourdain on this podcast. Uh, Michael Owl is a big, big fan. I really am. Uh, the documentary was made by, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he did Won't You Be My Neighbor. He did a documentary about Yo-Yo Ma and the, the Silk Road. I need to see that because I'm also a big Yo-Yo Ma fan and particularly a Silk Road Journeys fan. He also did a documentary that was pretty acclaimed about uh, backup singers. So he's a very, very successful documentary. Oh, yeah. That was Oscar nominated. Yeah. So very cool. Yeah. So this is what I wanted to do for my birthday. Uh, well, we saw this on July 15th and that's uh, when it came out. This was the first day. It was a Thursday night. So technically early, uh, I think. And honestly, I really loved it. I was worried uh, for the trailer. It, it was a lot of clips, you know, from his, you know, three different TV shows, or maybe it's even more than that, but uh, three that I'm aware of, I think. And so I worry it was just going to be like a rah-rah, look at Anthony Rodin, what all he's done, you know, that kind of thing, and just kind of be funny kind of clips. But it, it went much further, th- further than that, really aided by uh, footage from somebody else who was going to do a a documentary on Anthony Bourdain that really covered like right after his book uh, Kitchen Confidential came out. Like that was really what kind of propelled him into this kind of superstardom. So there's a lot of footage that I've never seen and didn't even know really existed. So I thought, I I love this documentary. It was poignant. It hurt. It was beautiful. It is inspiring. It's sad. I love that we're talking about mental illness. 
Uh, I loved, I really loved everything about it. Um, with the minor things of, you know, talking about Asia Argento, um, you know, and and them not being able to either. I don't remember if they they chose not to. I think reach they chose. They chose they, not to interview her. Yeah, so I would. I don't. I I, I don't know if she would have said yes, but I feel like they probably should have approached her. I guess, and I'm, I'm sure. I, they I believe this. Uh, Morgan Neville. Morgan Neville's the name of the director, nice and I job. I believe what he has said, and I I don't. I mean, don't quote me on this. Is that uh, he didn't want it to turn into like a he said she said about their relationship. Mm. So he chose to not focus on much on her side. But I actually think they handled it uh, sort of clever and sort of self-aware, I think, in the way they handled the Aja stuff. Because there's this one footage where they're, uh, Anthony and Aja are looking at this painting of uh, Medusa. And basically they're talking about how Aja will eventually be painted as the villain in the end for this Me Too stuff, and I think they're including that footage because they are aware of the style of this documentary sort of paints Aja in a bad light. So I think they're... I, I was really... I really loved, liked that scene because... And I don't know if it's on... They're just including... I assume they're including it on purpose to kind of show that the documentary is showing Aja in a bad light and to maybe think about both sides of the story. So I think that was really smart way to do it and that really made me admire the film yeah i bet you're right and i did not pick up on that at, uh, upon the first on on the viewing so uh, kudos that kind of that you noted that yeah that was really fascinating i thought when like she directed the episode and kind of changed the way you know what was important and some of the crew members kind of were rebelled against that i thought that was a cool insight on kind of the behind the scenes of the show uh, i thought it was fascinating and hearing about how you know, Bourdain kind of grew as a performer. It grew as a writer. We taking more and more control over like what you know the show was going to be about. Going, you know, largely still using food as the lens and the way to get through, but really talking about socio and economic issues, uh, political issues, uh, human rights issues. You know, he was a champion. He was a an old white male champion for brown and black people throughout the world, and I think the world needs to see more of that. And so I like that they covered part of that as well. Yes, and I liked how, don't want to spoil too much, but I guess it's hard to spoil the documentary since it's about real life, and we, <laughs> we, we, we know the ending. Right. I liked how they explored the mental health aspects of it, and I was also worried in the trailer that it was just going to be like, step by step like this is the awesome things anthony bourdain did but it really you know tried to get into his psyche i mean as much as you can without the the person you're profiling being alive yeah i think that's exactly right um yeah i really loved it so i'm glad i'm glad we saw it it was made for a very fun birthday yes and i i should say for the movies we're talking about we're not doing grades here right now that's true yes all right, I'm going to pull something from the the thing. And Summer of Soul. Summer of Soul, another documentary. We saw a good amount of documentaries over the summer. And we've been saying we wanted to see more, so that's good. We were actually we were doing that, what we said we wanted to do. That's nice. So Summer of Soul is a documentary from Questlove and has to do with uh, the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, something I, I, I had never... Had you heard of this before? 
No, I had not. They, they talk about it was kind of overshadowed by uh, Woodstock, which was that same year. And obviously, I'm sure the fact that it was almost all black did not help its <laughs> yeah. chances of popularity. Why would it be overshadowed? Hmm. Uh, hmm, what? <laughs> oh, my God. That's so surprising. Yeah. But Questlove's taking this uh, footage and... Like editing together really nicely. We got some like talking head instances with people that were a part of it or people that attended the culture festival, and it was just really fun and nice and interesting. Yeah, this was a summer a year a summer program. So like you know every weekend or every other weekend in the summer at this park, you know, and I I don't know if there were multiple locations or it was just at the same place. Um, you know they had these amazing, these amazing lineup of, of musicians, and some, you know, some I had a passing awareness of. Some I didn't realize how huge of stars they were at the time. Um, I thought like the Stevie Wonder stuff was especially like amazing because my my version of Stevie Wonder is as an older, kind of more mature artist, less kind of funk, you know, less party when he's younger. You know, and that was cool to see. I really hadn't seen some of that footage. That was neat. Um, but I thought it was really fun and really good. Yeah, I really like how it kind of... It's a nice portrait of, like, a time in history. Like, talking about this big concert in Harlem where, like, you had the Black Panther Party doing, like, security. And they talk about different sections of history that happened. Like, the moon landing happened during this. And they talk about how it uh, how it affects the people in there or how it doesn't affect. Right. The people in there, and I just think it's just, it's very, like, interesting and informative, but also very fun and concert film-like. I mean, a lot of it is just concert footage. Yeah. And it's I, a really, I very highly recommend. Yeah, Summer me Soul. too. And I, I liked the same thing you did, how it kind of touched on what's going on, again, politically and socially, at the same time, uh, and tied them, I thought it weaved them together really well. Yes, and also just generally good music. Yeah, it was fun. That was. All right, next thing out of our bowl all right we just talked about two good movies now let's talk about cruella <laughs> do you want to let's you you give the first words on cruella yeah so cruella is the origin story of cruella de vil it's uh it was a disney movie i believe and it starred emma stone and mark strong and uh who is the matriarch who was like the emma rival? thompson Emma Thompson. So those three are pretty brilliant and wonderful, and I could kind of watch them do whatever they do. And and, and this we did. So, you know, it, uh, this was this was better than I thought it was going to be, but my expectations were very low going in. Um, it kind of gives us, yeah, it gives us the the prequel to One Hundred and One Dalmatians, which is a movie I really don't remember from my childhood. We haven't seen it again, uh, and I don't think we should, we, did, we didn't show it to you. But you may have seen it somewhere. I think I've seen it. That, that makes sense. Um, the original animated one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, because there was a Disney remake, too, which I forgot about that uh, live-action thing. So, yeah, this was fine. You know, it was fine. Some of the things were really unbelievable. The dogs were cute. Emma Stone is eminently watchable. Emma Thompson was great. Uh, the fashion is fun, but just, you know, you had to kind of just throw logic out the window, uh, was my experience and just say, all right, Hey, we're just going to go for this ride. And it was a somewhat enjoyable ride for me. Yeah. Uh, this movie was also better than I thought it was going to be, but also I thought it was going to be terrible. <laughs> and I'm, 
I think the reason we saw it was I had this thing at the beginning of the summer. I want to see every new release. But we, I gave up on that, luckily. And I think <laughs> I'm going to give up that in the future and just watch the new releases that we're interested in. Just watch movies we're interested in so that we don't see a bunch of Cruellas and Jungle Cruises. <laughs> right. We don't need disposable movies. No. You know. Um, but it was better than I thought it was going to be. It was kind of, there's some moments were like fun. A lot of those involving Emma Stone. Like, there were some nice montages and a good, like, soundtrack. So there's moments where it's like, all right, I'm kind of enjoying this. There's also moments that were stupid and moments that were quite bad. I should say that this movie is unreasonably long. Like, there was a moment where I was like, I mean, this was my thought while watching it in the theater. And it was like wow, they're taking a really long time to wrap up this movie. And like, oh, they're not wrapping it up. It just, It's just continuing to go. Yeah, exactly. I really thought like, all right, they're they're ending it up now. I'm like, oh no, we have a whole like climax yeah. left. I, they did the same thing to me. Like, it was like the false ending. I was like, oh, okay, all right, we're done. Oh, okay, then they're going to denouement. Oh, wait, no, we still got a whole other thing to go. Okay, great. Like, it's, it's not it's not taking a long time to wrap up. It's just continually more <laughs> yeah, moving. Right. It's just, just more moving. It never ends. Yeah, so that's not something you want your audience members to experience or feel. Yeah, and <laughs> it wasn't like, a, oh, some... yay, more Cruella. I was like, why? Can I just leave the theater now, please? <laughs> right, it's time to go. It's time to go. All right, so uh, any more to say about that one? No, no, nothing more to say about Cruella. All right, I'm reaching in, and... Uh, no sudden move. Do you do you, do you remember? <laughs> I don't one? think I remember this movie. So it was uh, Steven Soderbergh's <laughs> oh yeah feature, uh, which I I'm just gonna be straight honest with you here. I didn't like all that much. People people seem to really have enjoyed this movie. We did not. There's a really fantastic cast it's got mainly focusing on uh all our buddy don Cheadle, old donnie okay yes now i'm remembering and it's got it's this big like heist set in the 50s felt 40s or 50s right probably uh (laughs) we don't remember much about this movie and it's not a very memorable movie yeah that might in my opinion i the plot felt muddled to me and it was in way we're like an hour through it, I was like, I'm not quite sure what's going on, but it wasn't like an interesting, like, oh, I don't know what's going on, and I'm excited to see what finds <laughs> right, out. Not in the good way. <laughs> but like when it, the movie when we get when we get to the ending and things clear up, I'm like, that's not all that interesting. Yeah. And I didn't find. I mean, there's great actors in it, but none of the performances were really like I enjoyed that. There were some good moments. Uh, David Harbor. Who was in this movie had some had some good scenes involving like him like jumping over a desk and stuff. <laughs> so I thought I thought that was good. No, those those are all in the beginning of the movie. The beginning and end of this movie is the the best part. There's a there's a kind of surprise character, or I don't know if you call it cameo. It's a little bit more than a cameo that happens around the end, and I thought that was interesting. And I thought the beginning, the setup was interesting, but I, I, it just could not keep me entertained. Yeah, I hardly remember anything about this movie, and that says probably everything you need to know about my opinion of this movie. Yeah, not a, not, not something I'd recommend. Although, like, p- 
people people enjoy it. So maybe maybe you will. We just didn't. There we go. Next thing coming out of our bucket. All right, this one is our first non-movie thing. It talks about some news that happened very recently involving one of our favorite things to talk about, and that is Doctor Who. It recently came out that uh, season 13, and I think a couple specials in uh, autumn of 2022, will be Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor and Chris Chibnall as showrunners last times on Doctor Who. That's right. They've announced they are leaving, and they've announced when. And I think uh, my reaction was, yay. And I really hope they go out strong. Uh, I have really enjoyed Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor. Let's not, let's not say really enjoyed. I've enjoyed her performance. Yes, she hasn't been given a lot to do. I don't even know that that's that. I don't, I don't know this. I haven't really analyzed to me whether she's been given a lot to do or not. Uh, I just know the stories haven't been good, you know, for the most part. I haven't enjoyed the episodes. I have not enjoyed Chris Chibnall's direction of the story arcs, and they haven't been compelling. And maybe it is that she doesn't have enough to do, but I don't. It feels like I feel like she's there's been you know lots of different kind of things they've given her, but you know they haven't been compelling. Um, so I'm not going to be sad to see them go. I kind of wish a new showrunner would come in and she would have stayed. Yep, I, so we could I have seen so. what she would have looked like with somebody who's telling stories. We found I found interesting and good, but um, that's not going to be the case, and that's sad. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, for for a show we love so much as Doctor Who, it feels almost mean to have this like champagne popping reaction to like writers leaving. Yeah, but uh. That, that was the reaction. <laughs> yeah, right uh, we've talked about Doctor Who a lot on this podcast, and we've talked about how we haven't found the Chibnall era terribly interesting. We haven't found the 13th Doctor all that interesting, though I don't think that really has anything to do with Whitaker and everything to do with the direction that Chibnall's taken the show. We haven't liked how Chibnall's kind of evened out the TARDIS by giving the companions a lot to do. Like We want the doc- We talked about how we want the Doctor to feel alien, and I think, like, all the other new Who doctors have. And we, we yeah, I don't, we, we just haven't liked Chibnall all yeah, that much. That's... But I hope, I hope season series, I should say, series 13 is better. And I guess we, we shouldn't just talk about Chibnall and uh, Jody leaving. We should talk about series 13 and the direction they're taking with that. Because it's going to be all one story. Yeah, and I'm really excited about that and hope that they really pull it off. And I before, I was kind of uh, not excited about the new cast member kind of joining, but now I kind of am. Let's just see what happens. I'm just going to go with it. You know, they they kind of they removed two of her companions towards the end of last, last series. And kept Yaz, who is the one that probably stands on her own the most. Yeah, and so, but instead of just having to be the Doctor and Yaz, they're adding in this uh, this white male dude who's a former soccer player and comedian and he seems like you know at first i was really just like you know why don't we do can't, are you scared of just having two girls do it you know and i i don't know if that was why or not but now i'm just like you know what let's bring them on let's just have fun nail this nail your exit you know nail this one they're telling one complete story for all season so that's great nail it 
and then have those three specials be amazing. And like, I think a lot of people will forget, you know, the, the two seasons are kind of, that weren't not great. Yeah. Let's At least give, I hope so let's give Jody and I guess Chibnall <laughs> a good, <laughs> a good send off. And there's also going to be specials. So even afterwards, similar to the David Tennant specials. So, and we really like those stories. So yeah, we just hope, we just hope it ends well, but even if it ends well, Bye bye, Chibnall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bring in better showrunner, please. We're not going to miss you. Can we? I don't know how much we want to continue this, but do you have any people you'd want to be a new doctor or a new showrunner? I don't. But I mean, obviously, I have like fantasy lists. But I do agree with an article that I did not read. <laughs> awesome! So I'm just so saw the headline. United of. States citizen, right there. Just saw the headline and have I bookmarked it to be read later, but. It basically said that the the choice of the showrunner is more important than the choice of the doctor, and I agree. Absolutely. I agree with that a hundred percent. Totally. And there's another article I didn't read that I bet I agree with is also is like how Chibnall did not set up Jodie Whittaker to succeed. There are probably some choices I'm sure in the choices involving the companion and kind of what you were talking about is is probably on that list there. So I mean, obviously Neil Gaiman would be my f- dream showrunner. Yeah, I've probably heard not going to happen. I heard but, people bring out wanting Mark Gaddis. Come on, the showrunner. But I feel like I like what everything he's done. So why not? I mean, I feel like would that be too similar to the Moffat era? Because he was pretty involved, and obviously they're big partners. He was, uh, and it might be, or he might kind of veer in another direction. You know, being aware of that also. But I liked the Moffat era. So I think I don't know that. I mean, if they just retreaded, of course that wouldn't be great. But like, I enjoyed the Moffat era, so that would be a welcome return to me. And I got I got two final things to say. Yeah, what about you though? Where do like, you- I was thinking for uh, for showrunner. Now I'm trying to think of possible people like from the Chibnall group. I think I would take Vinay Patel. Okay. And now tears comes from articles and videos that I haven't watched and haven't read. <laughs> but I, I, I've I've heard that Patel has his plan for what he would do as showrunner of Doctor Who. I imagine, I imagine anybody, I imagine he does. Like, wouldn't you? I would too if I was like on staff or had written some episodes. I'm sure he fantasized about it. And I've know? liked, I've liked the episodes Patel has written. He wrote the only terribly palatable episode of, of series eleven. In my opinion, at least my favorite of that not so great season. Then he wrote he wrote along with Chibnall the Fugitives of the Jadoon episode, and that episode I thought was pretty good. Okay, so I, I would like I I would wouldn't mind seeing him announce the showrunner. All right, that'd be cool. But here's here let's go back to the two 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 things. One was when I heard this noise noise this news. <laughs> yeah. That Chibnall was leaving. I was like, wait, but I thought Chibnall had this five-year plan for what he would do with Doctor Who. And then I remembered that, like, oh, wait, Jody, his run will end in 2022, which is five years from when he started. I'm so old. What have I done with my life? (laughs) Wow. That took a dark turn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it did. It did. All right. Well, good good luck. Good luck with that. Doctor, and... Final thing that people are worried about. Maybe we should have just a whole separate Doctor Who podcast. But uh, the 60th anniversary special is coming up. Ooh, how, like this year? No, like the next couple of years. I'm not sure. Okay. 
but enough that like the new showrunner may have to do that just starting off after Chibnall leaves. Mm. But when I'm hearing people discuss this, I'm like, wait, didn't they already say like a couple of years ago that Russell T. Davies was coming back to write the 60th anniversary special? Or was that just a joke? Oh, really? I'm not sure. But obviously, I'd be happy with that. We I love, would be happy with that. We're, we follow in like the stereotypical New Who, Doctor Who uh, fan like thing of really loving Russell T. Davies. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. Our, well, favorite yes, we doc- do. our favorite Doctor is Tenet. We are about the most like normal, like average <laughs> modern Doctor Who fans there are. This is not an insult. Yeah. We're like, love <laughs> Russell T. Davies. Own it. Don't, don't like Chibnall. Yeah. We're like the. Hitting the nail on the head of the stereotypical Doctor Who fan. There we go. I'm proud to be that. Yes. All right, next item on the list. Ah, this is fun. The Bad Batch. The Bad Batch. So this is an animated Star Wars show from Dave Filoni. I guess Filoni, I don't know if he created the Clone Wars or just was a big writer on the Clone Wars, but he did create this show. And it's an animated Star Wars. It takes place like directly after the events of Revenge of the Sith, and we've been really loving it. Yeah, it's this has been really, really fun. It is the same animation style as the Clone Wars, and it took me a little bit when I first watched a few episodes of the Clone Wars. I really, um, I didn't didn't dig the animation, but it's now really grown on me. I've I've gotten to where I really like it a lot. Uh, the series has gotten better as it's gone along, like it's getting stronger, and they're building to a great climax, uh, which would be next week. You know, this will come out early, or early the week of August second, uh, and so on on Friday there will be a um, the the series finale. So it's not too late to binge and kind of get caught up on this. Uh, but yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I've enjoyed even the characters. You know, it's about it's bad bad. So it's these clones that are a little off, and they have special powers, and their dynamic has been fun to be with. Even in the beginning, when there was like you know they're trying to establish the characters, you know, in a twenty-two minute show, so very quickly, and you're like you got the hulking guy, you know, kind of rawr, rawr, let's go smash things. Even that guy, I love now. Like I, I just have a, I'm a fan of all of them, and I love the way. Uh, I generally don't like things with kids in them, you know, like like stories, like adult stories with uh, children, or even kids stories with children. Uh, but they've I, oh, Omega, or I can't even. <laughs> she has a New Zealand or Australian accent that I can't do. But like, I even I I like what they've done with her, and I really liked the episode we just had where there was like she had like somebody her own age. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um. I'm really liking how, I mean, I think I'll like everything Star Wars because I just like how Star Wars feels to watch, but I really like how they've been handling it. And I don't want to be one of those people that's like, Clone Wars is not a kid's show. It is. The Bad Batch is a children's show. It's a children's show that adults can watch. But uh, I've really liked how it feels like mature, kind of, and they're handling political themes like pretty well and I, I've just I've just been down for the ride but while also being like awesome space laser fight yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. it handles both, nice of them, both of them uh, pretty well <laughs> while like you can be like 
wow, this is like really awesome depictions of how fascism starts. Yeah. And then it's like cool cowboy guy with laser gun. Like well, and it handles both of them well. It both does. sides. Yeah. What do you do when like the uh, you know, most of us aren't in the military, but you know, what do we do at a company, you know, that you're you're pleased with the company works and then it turns dark. Like where do you go? What do you do? How do you act? You know? Well, they're now hunting you down. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really, I really dig the show. Yeah, the show has been been really good. Next, pulling this thing out of hat is all right. This is another non movie thing. This talks about what we did around July Fourth, which is where we watched some of the the best movies of the first half of the year. People said, "Do you want to you want to talk about our our experience with that?" I mean, what what did what was on the piece of paper exactly? Best of first half. Uh, you do the lead in on that. Okay, please. so so we, we basically all we did was on we just tried to watch some movies that uh that people had said was really good that we hadn't gotten to from during maybe not during summer maybe during you know uh, spring. And earlier 2021, and some of those movies, and a lot of them we really enjoyed. One of them was a uh, Saint Maud. Oh yeah, which I think I enjoyed more than you. Which I I really I really love Saint Maud. I think you're right. I don't think I liked it as much, but it has stuck with me. So I, I think this is one of those my appreciation is growing for it uh, in the time after we've seen it. Yeah, like it. Uh, it's the first feature from uh, Rose Glass, who I hope to see a lot more of because this is like a really great beginning. It's a, uh, it's kind of like a religious horror movie, and it just handles itself really well. And I don't know. It's just it was just it's so great. It's so like it feels like short and succinct and gets this point across really well while also being like scary and having interesting characters yeah there's very little fluff in it it's a nice meditation on loneliness a nice meditation on mental illness a nice meditation on uh, religious uh, fervor and fundamentalism Uh, and it has a just a killer ending that we will not spoil for you oh yeah fantastic but the ending itself works out really well and it's scary and tragic uh, it's a really good, uh, yeah, it's a good movie. And one I think about often, especially, uh, this does not spoil anything, but there's a quote in there. <laughs> You've been saying it a lot. I have, like, may God never waste your pain. And it's, 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 a, it's a, when so it's, glad you didn't try to do the accent. Oh my God, I came so close. <laughs> uh, but I won't do it. All right. Yes. Yeah, same odd. See it. Oh, oh wait, we didn't even. There's also more movies, but Saint Maud's the major one that we really loved. But what were the other ones? A Glitch in the Matrix. Oh yeah, which is another uh, was another interesting uh, documentary about people who believe we live in a simulation, and also deals a lot with loneliness. Another good, another good documentary. But Saint Maud was probably uh, the biggest movie we, the best movie we watched for our best of the year uh, so far during that yeah. during first half of the year. I agree with that. All right, next thing is Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty. Uh, starting, I don't know, late June, we've had a new season of Rick and Morty. Season 5, a decently controversial season now, of Rick and Morty. I have not been following the buzz around the show, uh, so tell me tell me about the controversies. Rick and Morty fans, that people don't like it. 
as much as other seasons. But like, I really don't like. Pe- people have been overreacting on both sides. I think I haven't liked a lot of these episodes as much as I've liked episodes for maybe the first three seasons. But like, I haven't noticed a big like dip down in quality. I just think it's it's TV, and some episodes aren't as good as others. Yeah. I, I, I certainly don't see any kind of season trend, you know, of, of it being bad. You know, I've I've enjoyed almost all the episodes a lot. I, mean, I think I probably have enjoyed all the episodes a lot. None of them have entered the my Rick and Morty canon of episodes that like I'll you know tell people about. You know, be like, you got to watch this. So, you know, this happens. You know, blah blah. I really haven't talked about the season in that in those terms. But, but are you sure? Because last week's Thanksgiving themed episode you said might be in your top five yeah but i really haven't talked to people about it saying hey you need to see this this episode you know but yeah it's a great was a great episode just have who have i talked to about it nobody i guess that's true um but yeah i thought it was a great episode i loved the the uh the whole thing of like every thanksgiving this has been going on we just don't even know it yeah every every thanks for those that are not rick and morty fans i guess uh, let me just explain the setup for last <laughs> week's episode which was so great Apparently, like, every Thanksgiving, Rick, like, does something to, like, peeve the president and, like, has to put his mind in a turkey to get a presidential pardon. Yeah, at some point in the previous year, Rick and Morty, Rick has done something to be criminally, you know, prosecuted by the United States government. So every year he tries to get a pardon. And the way he does it is he puts his brain in turkey. And so when the pres, you know, the annual, you know, United States tradition, the president pardons a turkey. You know, he gets himself in that turkey, therefore he has the pardon. Which, which I, I just know think this is, is off topic, and I don't know if we have time for this. But why do we pardon a turkey? Why is that what we do? Who knows? What's, what has the turkey done wrong? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Justice for turkey. It made the Justice choice to be born turkey. a turkey. Justice for turkey. <laughs> All right, but yeah, Rick and Morty is still very good. Maybe less good than it's been before, but I'm... I'm still excited, and it's still going on. We're we're a little over halfway through the season at the point in which we're recording this podcast. And now that school's starting, we have to watch them taped the day later. But that's okay. Yeah. Too bad. That's where we're we still are. into watch during dinner. That's right. Next thing from our bowl. Now here's the first thing that I've seen, and you haven't. All right. Being Black Widow. Oh yeah. The most. I can't believe I haven't seen that recent marvel movie a prequel following what happened to our favorite uh russian former assassin named natasha romanoff during the events after civil war and before infinity war what was she doing where where was she going (laughs) was she was she meeting up with her with her family was she were they harboring her was she haha david harbour was she fighting a bond villain who knows? Who knows what she was doing? Well, we do, because... Well, I do, because we saw it. Uh, this movie was perfectly fine. I wasn't all that excited for it, and because I, I had a similar reaction where, like, this is not one of the bigger Marvel things, and a lot of the bigger Marvel things have been happening on TV. And it's just like, okay. Like, she's already... I mean, I guess spoilers for the Marvel Universe. She's already dead. Like, I... What... what more is going to happen like this and I, I usually like the smaller stuff but like like falcon the winter soldier but this this didn't really entice me going into it and i guess i guess it was good there's i think the beginning sequence of the movie is really great uh where it where it shows uh 
Natasha and the family as 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 uh, children. I mean, not the whole family, but them as <laughs> them as <laughs> them as children. And I uh, that 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 sequence is good. It felt like nice, like grounded action that I liked, and maybe the first first two thirds of the movie actually kept my attention. Uh, I really loved uh, Yelena Belova, who's the the character who is probably going to be taking the place of like a Black Widow in in this new Marvel universe. Is that Florence Pugh? That's Florence Pugh. Yeah. Okay. And she she's she she was really good. Uh, the the third third <laughs> it uh kind of fall apart for me. It does a lot of those action tropes that we really don't like. Mm. Where you're like, I felt like, okay, that's a little cheap. And then it just becomes like this third act, like, fight. And they have some, like, weird, like, twists that don't really work for me. But it was a fine, fine movie. Not not upper echelon of Marvel, not Thor The Dark World. Okay. This movie makes me want to see it more. Mainly so I can just talk, I can see what those kind of, see how the third act, how I feel about that as well. Uh, But yeah, I'm surprised I haven't seen this movie. Next in the bowl. bowl. Ah, the sympathizer. Uh, Okay, so the sympathizer. So for a week during the summer, I went to visit my uh, grandparents in Florida. And every time I've done that, I've brought a book to kind of dive into and read. The first time, I don't know how many years ago it was, was a biography of David Letterman. The second time was Charlie Kaufman's incredible book, which you should all read, uh, called Antkind. And this one, it was uh, Viet Thanh Nguyen's thriller, The Sympathizer, um, which is a really, really outstanding book. Uh, we listened to an interview with him on one of uh, your your assorted bunch of interview podcasts. <laughs> That's right. Uh which I thought was really fascinating, so I wanted to go in and read the book. And it's nice. It has to do with uh, the Vietnam War. The sympathizer referring to our main character is a uh, is a Viet Cong sympathizer hiding within the, uh, the 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 Vietnamese forces that were with America. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on their name, and I should I should know it. That's all right. That was clear. Um, and it's just a really interesting book. It's got great characters. It's very. It feels very politically savvy. And it's just. It it also just does the good thriller thing of like keeping you in, entrenched in the in the story. But it also it's one of those things where it's like, it makes you feel a little kind of smart <laughs> for reading it because you're just like, okay, this is a fun thriller, but like it's bringing up interesting ideas about political ideology. And those from those are my favorite books. Like my favorite mysteries are, you know, the ones that. You act, yeah, that make you feel like you're smart for reading it and also make you feel like you want to get smarter so you can read more and get more of the references. I'm excited to read this. This one, the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, uh, my wife, Hank's mom, Peggy, has read it and loved it. And I'm going to read it this fall. Yes, uh, and so the I'm sequel excited. came out pretty recently for The Committed. I'm going to read that soon. Maybe maybe I'll read that while you read The uh, the Sympathizer. That would be fun. That would be very cool. Very cool. Yes. Uh, do you do you want to talk about a book you've read? I don't want that be all focused on me. Uh well, just because we pulled out the sympath- the sympathizer. Uh something I've read recently that I really liked. Help me, Hank. 
Um, I feel like I've been reading a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> pull another thing out of the hat. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, well, so what? I'm trying to think. What's uh, so right? Pull, I'm just pull. talking about the one I'm reading right now. I'm reading uh, Kafka on the Shore by Murakami, and I am loving it. I'm about halfway through with that, and I like it so far. And by the way, I think that I think you brought this up. That is one of the books. We're gonna read for like lit comp. I'm gonna read for like lit comp this year. Yeah, maybe this year, maybe next year. I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, I love that. And th- like, this is—I mean, I've been looking forward to this since I knew that we were going to have a child. You know, like to where you are reading books and or just you are introducing me to things that you like and are old. We're old enough to read the same things. You know, which we're at, which is fun. Which means we get to talk about stuff like this. Yeah. Makes me very happy. Ah, here's a fun one. Loki. Loki, yes. That has been the Marvel TV show that went on during the summer. It was six episodes, and it was good. It was solidly good. It follows the... It's another kind of prequel thing, following the adventures of Loki uh, post-Avengers and the kind of new timeline that was created post-Endgame. Would you like to talk about what you thought of the movie? And I'm actually in the middle of re-watching it with a friend. Yeah, uh, so this was interesting series. There has been an interesting series. I um, I kind of dug the buddy cop vibe that it kind of began with. and But then I was nervous about them trying to sustain that over the eight or ten episodes that it was. Six. Or six. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some other even number. You lost Price is Right rule. <laughs> I did indeed. Um, and it did veer away from that in ways that I enjoyed. I, I had, I really had fun with this, this series. I I liked it a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. I don't like it as much as a lot of people did. There felt some lull points in the show. There were some parts where I felt that like the show expected us to have more of an emotional connection to these characters than we did when they were doing something, you know, emotionally poignant or important with the characters that were, like, just introduced, like, three weeks ago. Um, but overall, I liked the show. I thought the the performances were good. How it introduces what comes next in Marvel felt very, like, exciting. And I feel like that's the first time in a while I've been actually, like, quite quite excited for Marvel long-term Though there's a conversation to be had about how I feel like Marvel's getting less popular than yeah. it was. They had they did such a great job with that twenty two movie arc or whatever, the whatever phase phase one through whatever. Phase one through three. The infinity arc, I think. Yeah. Like it's it's I think it's natural that it's taking everyone a while to get excited about it again. I think also I think there's a bit of like an oversaturation or like a there's too much now. If you want to get into it, you have like 20 plus movies to watch. Like, And with how much we're getting like nine Marvel things this year. And like, I feel like it's becoming harder for maybe people that aren't really invested to get invested because there's just so much. It's too overwhelming. I bet you're right. That makes a lot of sense. I know, I know I've done that with series that are just like, you know, TV shows that have like four four or five series in seasons in and i'm just like all right, i'm too late i'm just not gonna do that <laughs> yeah and there's there's like people uh people i've heard that people didn't go watch black widow 
that did watch the TV shows because they're just like, why bother? That's not that big. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. Because like, okay, I could just watch like the episode of television that comes out next week. Like, I feel like, I mean, I like that there's so much Marvel and I like talking about all this Marvel, but it might be a bad thing for the franchise long term. Right. I hear that. Tom Hiddleston was great again. Oh yeah, and I really liked I really liked Owen Wilson. I'd liked Owen Wilson too, and I liked the uh, I don't want to give spoilers for the series, but the, there's another character who came in there towards the last half of the show who was really great. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, all right. New thing, and I like the uh, the the beginning the beginning segment of it. The the intro the Loki with the different that's so different great. Letters. The intro may be the best the best part of the show. I, yeah, <laughs> it's a really good intro. It I love the intro. score too. The score I forget the name of the the composer, but she was she was really good. Yeah. Next is another documentary. This one focusing on music, and well, another one focusing on music specifically the band Sparks. Oh uh, yeah, by uh, Ron and Russell Mail. It's called the Sparks Brothers. It's a documentary from uh, Edgar Wright of the Cornetto trilogy. And Baby Driver, and other movies. <laughs> yeah. So, had you heard of Sparks? I had not heard of Sparks before. Well, I before watching the movie, yes, but before I heard about this documentary, no. Me neither. What did we learn, and did we have fun? We learned. We learned a lot. And it, <laughs> yeah. was a, it was a fun movie. It's pretty straightforward. It's really just running through Sparks album by album with different talking heads. Some of those talking heads being people we like, like Mark Gaddis. That's right. And Neil Gaiman. Two possible <laughs> two possible fantasy showrunner lists for <laughs> two Doctor possible Who for fantasy, us. fantasy Doctor Who showrunner list. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was cool. Like so again, knew nothing about him, which again I love the fact that I was alive during this era and had no clue whatsoever because again, what other things are out there that I get to discover even if I already missed them earlier. Uh, that's super fun. Uh, I had a good time. I liked the, the music was cool. The hearing the influences were cool. Um, I haven't listened to any Sparks music after it though, so I don't know. Maybe we will when Annette comes out next week. Yeah, Annette being a, a film from Leo's Cataracts that is a musical where it was written. The music was done. I think just the and the story as well was written by by the Sparks Brothers. Yeah, so it's a big Sparks Brothers summer. Hopefully. Yeah, I don't know how the documentary did or how it was received, but that, know, that was the I, phrase, I right? That everyone was calling the summer the the Sparks Sparks summer, yeah. Sparks Brothers summer. They're really making us try to. They're really trying to make us like the Sparks Brothers. I've seen that tweet several times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's fun to check out. It's worth it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. What's the next thing? Uh, this is something we did very recently, almost a couple uh, days back. Uh, came to Atlanta. It was involving uh, Vincent Van Gogh. Oh uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I feel like you 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 explain this one. Yeah, sure. So this is an exhibit that's toured around the country and probably the world, and there may, may even be you know simultaneous showings of it. Uh, in Atlanta, it took place at this place called Pullman Yards, which used to be part of the uh, kind of Atlanta's railroad scene, and now is a you know kind of a big fun event space. But yeah, this is dedicated to Vincent Van Gogh, and it's a multimedia exhibit. And there's three different sections, really. And uh, the first one is you're walking in, and you just see, have reproductions of his paintings and documentary films. But it just looks cool. Like, it's really dark and cold air conditioning with cool lights, uh, really highlighting his use of color. 
it'll take, you know, there's one kind of section of the room that has like the timeline for his life. Another section will have a documentary talking about color and the fact that he was probably colorblind and which might be the, the reason why he applied and used color differently than other painters because he was seeing it differently, which is fascinating to think about. Um, there's a cool place where you could get your picture taken, like in the set of one of his you know, most famous paintings. I think it's called The Room, which was Gauguin's room. And I remember studying that like in middle school art, you know, talking about how he painted it where your eye would go from thing to thing and how he trained the viewer to look at what he wanted them to look at, which was fascinating then and fascinating now. Talked about you know, the auctions. It was just really cool. It had like, you know, his major works were there. And, you know, and then one of the other cool rooms that I, I could have stayed for hours and hours and hours in was as a big, big, long, wide room with projections all around the room and on the ceiling and on the floor. And I have a tough time describing it because it's not just that you saw lots of his paintings on there, but there was uh, transitions, there was music. Um, I don't help me out on describing it. I just, it was just really cool to see and watch, and you felt it was really like a it. a projector show going through Van Gogh's work. Like I, it was not just like here's painting, here's painting, here's painting. It was really like. It really was sound and movement and quotes from Van Gogh and not just not just Van Gogh's work. It was very interesting. And the third part was, I think, the best part, which I think we got to do because we had a VIP. Well, I think pass, we just had right? to we, we got we to paid, skip the line and pay for it the, in advance. Yeah, we that's that. Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, and it was like a VR thing where like you walked through like the town in the Netherlands and like different paintings would appear. And that was I. I could have stayed in that for hours. I wanna. I wanna go on a vacation to eighteen late eighteen hundreds Netherlands. It's <laughs> like walking on the stone path and looking around. This being a ghost in this 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 like natured environment. It makes me wonder why we don't have enough sheep around here. <laughs> yeah, both or hay bales. Both the room, the big room, wide room with the projections and the VR thing were just really well done. And because. Think we probably have all been to museums or something or seen something that was like, yeah, it was okay. This was like, I don't know, just really well done. And the, what the fun thing with the VR is, you know, you're walking through these these scenes, and then like you stop and you see the painting kind of form in front of you, and it's really cool. And it goes through like again his major paintings. It does that. It was really neat. And that was that was only ten minutes, but yeah, I could have lived in there for a lot longer. Uh, and we were, we did stay for, you know, probably an hour or so in the other room, you know, just kind of absorbing, you know, everything we were seeing. Um, it was really fun. And we bought a biography and I was looking to buy his, his letters to his brother. Uh, but they, they were sold out of that, but it was definitely something I'm glad we did. And I thought it was very fun. Yes. Next thing coming out of here is, uh, this is another thing I've seen and you haven't, and it's not the most interesting of things. There's another documentary about Rita Moreno. And while some of these, this is probably most similar to the Sparks Brothers documentary, because it's more traditional of going through Rita Moreno's life. Um, I think it was in 
involvement with uh what's what's the like their american masters thing maybe it could be that's a great pbs series or kenny senior honors or yeah it's one of those things possibly cnn too i, I shouldn't even mention that because i don't know but uh I was really going through reading Miranda's life and talked about some of the issues with uh, with sexual assault. She had been raped. Talked about bad bad relationships with people like Marlon Brando. Um, a, a interesting documentary. I wish it went deeper. It felt like something where like I, I just wish they had explored more it felt like it was like surface level almost like a skim through rita moreno's life like like and now this sounds harsh and i don't mean it as harsh as this is but like it felt a little bit like a uh a wikipedia page with input from rita like a highlight reel sounds yeah, like but it sounds like this was what i was worried the Anthony Bourdain Roadrunner that is, documentary that is was it. going to be. That is it, yes. And when they went into more serious subjects, they didn't uh they didn't stay on them very long. What did you what was your awareness of her going into it? Very little. Very, very little. I I didn't I had forgotten that she was the lady in that uh in uh what is it? What what's the, the musical? The 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 the, 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 the Singing the, in the Rain or was Singing in the Rain, yeah. Yeah, that extended dream sec- sequence. She's the dancer and that kind of thing, or whatever that sequence was. Yeah. Um, she's an EGOT. She is an EGOT. EGOT holder, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I don't know much about her either, but uh, it feels like I can skip this documentary. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like you can. All right. All right. This is All Light Everywhere. Now this... This goes into a more interesting documentary. It's from uh, Theo Anthony, who's a documentarian I had barely kind of heard of before. He did this uh, movie called Rat Film, which has to do with the history of Baltimore through rats, which sounds interesting and kind of shows you what kind of <laughs> kind of filmmaker he is. And I, for one, I did not know that Baltimore was actually founded by rats. Yeah, That's interesting. Cool. Interesting fact. <laughs> Everyone in Baltimore is actually just a rat, humanoid rat. It's an expose revealing the great, great uh, Baltimore secret that everyone's a rat. Exactly. Uh, but no, this movie explores kind of the idea of cameras and also the idea of a documentary. It focuses um, on different points on the history of cameras of video cameras it focuses on uh police body cameras it focuses on uh there are other major sections why am i why am i blanking i don't probably because that police one was a was long and compelling portion of it uh i think the idea well something that's i don't think i loved this documentary i thought it was a little too stylized for its own actual like good uh for me but something that stuck with me is the idea of, and it's a little meta in this, you know, a documentary and a cameras don't record facts and truth necessarily. Like there's bigger picture, like where are you pointing the camera? What do you choose to film versus what you don't choose to film? 
And that idea, and even in, in documentaries that we're watching now, this has come up a few times. You know, I think you think this resonates with you as well. Like, okay, that's what you showed us, but what 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 didn't you show us? And I think that 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 idea stuck with me. So in in that way, this documentary has kind of stayed with me longer than than some other things. Yes, and the other section focuses on a thing in Baltimore, where like the drone thing that was going in, like recording everything in real time, and felt like a huge invasion of privacy for me. But I think they ended up actually doing it. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a portion of it as well. Yes, yeah. it's very self aware. In fact, the, in fact, really, the point of the documentary is kind of to show how how self aware it is about what what it's very aware that like what what's it, what's the documentary not showing you? Yeah, like it keeps some of the behind the scenes elements to kind of show you that it is fake. And there's this a uh, great moment at the end of the documentary where they show footage from this whole section of the film involving like students in a film class that they cut completely out. And that was supposed to be the documentary. Like that originally was the documentary is like him in this Baltimore film class making things with the kids. Yeah. And then it, it veered off. Yeah. And then it shows like, it's supposed to be telling the audience like, Hey, documentaries and cameras as a whole aren't showing you anything and i'm not i'm not separated from that it really makes you it makes you think about what you're watching uh more more so than i think i did i did before in the movie yeah and there, i thought there was a great moment that kind of illustrates what you're talking about where part of the voiceover in the documentary says we're gonna take out this <clears throat> or like or pause like in the voiceover because it doesn't yeah they talk it's about not how pleasing to the viewer how documentary how documentaries cut out the part where the narrator breathes yeah exactly so they keep that in for a decent for a, some sections of it to make a point right and occasionally occasionally we'll do that on this this podcast that we mostly don't edit the podcast but you know if we have a long big long pause you know we'll make it to a shorter pause a lot of times uh, so yeah, I thought yeah, you I, missed you missed. Uh, actually, in our one where we did all the Oscar nominations, we just we just stayed silent for a full thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. But luckily, because we care, we edited that out. Yeah, we were just we we're just staring at each other angrily. <laughs> Probably about Minari. <laughs> Might have been about. All right, next thing and next thing in our bowl. All right. What is this? What? What? Let me see it. It's all. Ripped and folded poorly by me. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, yeah. Uh, what is this? What is this? Oh, uh, speaking of Oscar nominations, we have Emmy nominations. Oh wow! We'll yeah. Talk about that came out. I want to say recently, but really it was like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's pretty recent. Yeah. Uh, so I, when when I woke up to find that the Oscar nominations had come out, it took me. I mean, are you Emmy or are these Oscars? Emmy, Emmy, Emmy nominations had come out. It sort of completely surprised me because I didn't know they were happening, and I felt like I got really into it last year. Like, and I just like, whoa, hey! Like, it made me think like how I time traveled a bit. <laughs> and so, but it made me think like, oh my god, this year's gone by super fast. Yeah, the COVID COVID time time warps. Back to the time warp again. Um. But the Emmy nominations seemed seemed uh, quite quite interesting. 
uh, for drama. We had, we had at least one member of the family, mainly mom. Mom's, I feel like, better on prestige TV than yeah, we, we are. Yeah, we divided and conquered, but your mom did the heavy lifting. Uh, yeah, I had, well, already had, without without not purposely, with shows like The Handmaid's Tale and Bridgerton and... Uh, the Crown. The Crown. Yeah, so she, mom, mom, mom watches all the, all the good. This is us, also. Uh, all the good yeah, TV. Yeah, so she's. <laughs> uh, and the comedies, we hadn't watched a lot of the comedies. We hadn't watched a lot of miniseries, but we're working on that now. We we assigned one drama for us to watch, one comedy for us. To, sorry, excuse me, for us to uh, watch one miniseries. The drama that we're both watching right now is Lovecraft Country. Loving Which is it, crazy. We're we're really enjoying it. We're really <laughs> liking uh, liking the show. Uh, the comedy was Ted Lasso. Which we're gonna do like a thirty day free trial of Apple TV Plus to well, watch. We got it. We got it. We bought a phone, so we get it for whatever three months or a year or something like that. Oh wow! Yeah. So yeah, we we will watch Ted Lasso like that, and then what's the miniseries? Mar of Easttown. Mar of Easttown's the miniseries. Yeah, and I'm excited. I'm excited about. I'm excited about Marvel Town, and I am loving Lovecraft Country, and uh, we're gonna do yeah, and with the Ted Lasso, I'm really looking forward to also. Yeah, so this felt like a a good thing for television, good for the Mandalorian and the boys. Yeah, I I was especially pleased for both both of those those two. I'm huge fans, and to be I'm, that's who I'm gonna be rooting for. Yeah, and WandaVision got it on miniseries, which I don't know. I feel like my opinion of WandaVision has gone down since not watching it. Hmm. I think it might stay the same. I still feel I feel really good about it. I don't know if it's just like that bad finale that's messing it up for me. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I have not. I'm happy. I have not had that. Uh, that same thing. So we will be somewhat prepared for the Emmys. You know, as prepared as we can get. You know, it's just too much. Yeah. To uh, to do all of it. All right. This is Army of the Dead. So this actually came out before summer, but I'm like I was still in school during that time. But I, I'm practically counting it. Army of the Dead is a zombie heist movie from Mr. Zack Snyder. Uh, we liked the Snyder Cut. We talked about the Snyder Cut on this podcast. This movie is not good. Zack Snyder fans have said it's good. It is not. <laughs> it is not good. It, I think, in some instances, is actively bad. <laughs> they are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, it focuses on this band of people going in to doing a heist in Vegas that has been quarantined due to zombies. The zombies look interesting. The characters are not <laughs> at all. Interesting. Some moments take much too long. <laughs> At the end, they give. There's this very dramatic moment uh, for Dave Batista and the character that plays the character that plays the actor that plays Dave Batista's character's daughter. Like they have some really dramatic moment near the end, which goes on way too long. And I did not have any. I did not care for these characters at all. They were felt very one-dimensional, and a lot of it. Sometimes felt like just like set up for more things, and I was like, "This movie." At some points, we were actively not enjoying it, but good for um, uh, Raúl Castillo. Yeah, exactly. We're fans of his, and uh, you know that. So th we're happy for him, but yeah, not a good movie. Not a good movie. He's good <laughs> in it, though. He is good in it. Um, yeah, but not a good movie. I don't suggest you watch it. And speaking of set up for more things, there are spinoffs. 
think there was like a I didn't watch it or even see anybody talking about it. Like a teaser for Army of Thieves, which has to do with that Swedish character. Oh, really? Yeah. Are we going to have to watch those? No. <laughs> okay, good. Yay. All right. Sweet. Maybe, maybe we will. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see how we feel. See what else is on at the time. All right. Yeah. So don't, 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 you don't have to watch that one. No, 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 no. You, you can avoid it. Uh, this one is kind of just a you thing. It okay. talks about uh, the kind of educational, your kind of bridge, your kind of school <laughs> uh, during during the summer, if you'd talk about that. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm in the middle of getting a creative writing MFA from the Institute for American Indian Arts in Santa Fe. And the, the program is a low residency program. And in July and January, they do uh, residencies where you're ideally would be in Santa Fe. But with COVID, they're done over Zoom. And it's really like a week-long, you know, intensive uh, filled with craft talks from authors you respect and admire. Then workshop with your other students where you've all submitted, you know, portions of your manuscript. And everybody reads it and comments and reviews and you talk about it. As well as learning other craft elements from, you know, your person uh, teaching it. I had Pam Houston was leading my uh, workshop and she's fabulous, fabulous writer read everything she's written uh she's got a, a deep creek a memoir uh that came out maybe last year she and another author whose name i'm forgetting right now have a series of letters that were recently published uh she has cowboys are my weakness i think that was her memoir or a collection of essays uh she does a lot of creative nonfiction. she also does fiction she's also working on this cool thing called like kind of photo essays that she does uh, and you know maybe short pieces inspired by a photograph, and she's just a really remarkable person. So she was a great workshop leader. The people in my workshop were incredibly uh, helpful and talented and smart, and it was just a wonderful experience. And then in the evening there are readings, so it's a really full week. Your brain is tired quickly, uh, but it was great, and I am inspired to keep working on my book and uh, feel like I'm a better writer for having done the work uh, on this thing. So it was a really great week. Picking from the bucket. What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? AQR2. Let me think. A Quiet Place Part 2. That's where I there told you, you that like my brain was like, <laughs> I wasn't even looking at the paper. So it's like, oh, cool. A Quiet Race Part 2. <laughs> right. But uh, uh, you had not seen this movie. I had. It's, uh, it's quite a good movie. It's a sequel to A Quiet Place, if you haven't guessed from the A Quiet Place Part 2. It follows, I guess I don't want to spoil it for you, Dad, but it follows almost directly after the kind of big climax at the end of the first movie. And they're kind of leaving their farm and going on this adventure and meeting a new character played by Cillian Murphy. And this movie was like shockingly like really well directed on the part of John Krasinski. Like it looked good. Like there was just like, it also felt very, like, succinct and, like, didn't have a lot of fluff. It was just, like, interesting set piece after interesting set piece after interesting set piece. And it's like, this is this is what, like, we, we didn't watch any of the, like, F9. But, like, actually, this is more applicable when Godzilla vs. Kong came out. And we talked about that on the podcast. People were like, well, it's just, like, dumb fun. And I was like, no, it's not. It's bad. And, like, A Quiet Place Part 2 is, like... I guess it isn't even dumb, but this is like 
I think a perfect example for me of like what I want in like a fun movie. Like this, this is this is like, like awesome. I wish more people saw it in the theater because I feel like this. If more people actually went to see it, it would be a perfect like back to the theater movie at the beginning of summer, and it was a great way. It was a great way to start summer. That's cool. And did, did you like it better or worse or the same as the first one? Because you really like the better. first one also better than the first one. That's I would say. so great. That's so hard to do too for the filmmakers. Very very cool. Emily Blunt's great. She Even really though I just is. I joked earlier in the podcast about how no one I will not see Jungle Cruise. No, yeah, but we're happy for her big payday. Ooh, this is the most recent thing we could have pulled out, The Green Knight. The Green Knight, we saw that yesterday. Uh, it is an Arthurian tale about Sir Gawain, Sir Gawain. They pronounce it differently throughout the movie. And The Green Knight, it is, I'm forgetting the name, I'm blanking on the name of the director, but he directed a ghost story. He's a pretty... Well, he's a pretty beloved uh, uh, filmmaker. Um, and it basically follows, I guess I'll describe the Green Knight in like, the Green Knight comes to King Arthur's round table. And it's like, strike me down right now or hit me right now. But the catch is that a year later, you'll have to come to my place and receive a blow that from me that is exactly the same as the blow you gave me so our our Gawain the way to prove his honor like uh, decapitates the green knight and the green knight just picks up his head and walks away <laughs> so now this is following Gawain's mission to get there and eventually be beheaded by by our our buddy yeah that is night night green and it is uh it's beautiful to look at. So so beautiful. It sets tone and atmosphere so wonderfully. Uh, it takes its sweet ass time, that's for sure. But in a way that I enjoyed mostly. Uh, you know, it's a it's a fable. It's there's symbolism. There's you know lots of metaphor. And if that's not your cup of tea, you might not dig this film. But it's probably worth watching anyways. I, I didn't love it until probably the last 15 or 20 minutes of the movie. And then that kind of just made me really fall in love with it. Um, the performances were great. Yeah, Dev Patel. Dev Patel is outstanding. And he's not the kind of character you that I thought he was. I think I read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight like in, in high school. Um, and didn't really remember a lot of it. But and so maybe that's why I was surprised. But he's not the prototypical hero by any means, and it's really yeah, it's really. I am I, liking it better today than I did yesterday. And again, but the last twenty minutes really really sucked me in. And it's made a, me it's a, love the whole thing. One thing I really liked about the the tone of this movie, and I guess I haven't read the King Arthur stories. I haven't seen a lot of King Arthur movies, but what it seems from, like, trying to remember trailers I've seen and, like, recent King Arthur movies, I feel like a lot of them, I don't want to say don't take the work as seriously, but it's either, like, action-filled or have to have, like, a comedic twist, but, like, this movie is committed to doing, like, straight tale. Like, it doesn't try to, like change it up for a new new age or i think i think it just does the fable and commits to that tone yeah my impression of like the recent kind of movies that would be in this kind of arthurian legend type thing is that they take everything too literally 
and they're you know they're worried they they turn it into like an action adventure story when it's also more than that there is magic involved there is superstition there is religion there's spirituality there's myths uh and this kind of embraces that fully and kind of goes with it where my impression of the others is that they're it's just kind of basically an action movie uh just the tone is they're just completely different styles and tone and i really like this style Though there were some, you know, things in the beginning, because it is a fable, some leaps of logic that I had trouble letting go, and I won't give any specific examples because I don't want to spoil anything. No, I will, I will say I know what you're talking about. I had no problem letting them go. Yeah. So, so I don't good. know if they're... I mean, I guess thinking back on it, it is like a leap in logic, but I, I, I don't think it was that egregious. Yeah. So so I, I would highly recommend this movie but just know going into it that it's that it's probably a little different than something you've seen recently yeah I, I would agree with that it's a, it's a good movie though yeah and that I really love that last that last 15 minutes yeah dropped it uh, what do we get speaking of uh, interesting uh, kind of artsy films Undine ah Undine so Indina is a, is it a French film? German. German film. Uh, surrounding another myth and legend, this one to one that we were both completely unaware of. And I think it is bigger uh, across the pond, <laughs> as they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so this is a, a, another atmospheric movie, not quite as, with, as, not quite as much symbolism or mood or atmosphere as Green Knight, but in a similar vein, but smaller, and in a modern uh, it's basically a modern retelling of the Undine, or Undine, I'm not sure the pronunciation, uh, myth that has, again, been, I guess, around for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, and I think we both liked this film. We just didn't love it. Yeah, it was a little like, uh, when we talked about the sympathizer, I was like, this makes me feel smart and wants to get smarter. I was like, <laughs> like this makes me feel like, dumb like i should <laughs> like i should be smarter and to get it and like i don't i don't think that's the movie's purpose like sometimes people and i get a little annoyed when people say things like this but it's possible for you to look at this movie and go so pretentious and i was i wasn't feeling that i was just thinking like i this movie's this this is going over my head yeah we definitely didn't get you know mainly because of our culture you know we didn't get some of the symbolism we didn't i'm sure there are many things we missed as far as the meanings uh, when it gets down to it, it's a, you know a, kind of a supernatural love story, and uh, it was you know beautifully filmed, uh, at times scary. Um, but again, look, looking back on it, thinking about it now, I have I have a warm feeling about this movie, maybe more so than I did even when I when I walked out of the theater. It's one of those I'm glad we saw. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like like I've, I'm glad we saw this movie, uh, maybe even if I didn't love it. Yeah. I guess I think it's your turn actually to to pick from the bowl. That's true. Let's see what we got here. Ah, Talking Heads. Talking Heads. So I, not really starting the summer, starting a little before before the summer, I went, I got into a big Talking Heads phase, and now I think we're both really, really big fans. I don't know. It's just a whim to start uh, listening to them. And their music is just so good. It's just it feels different than anything I've I've listened to before. 
Yeah, this is another example, and even much more vivid because I'm really loving them. And I should have. This is a band I should have been listening to my whole life. You know, I was. They were. You know, first their first kind of big hit came out in '79, so I was seven years old then. And you know, they were big in the '80s. I was music in the '80s around in '90s, and um, I was I, I was not unaware. Like some of the hits that were on the radio, you know, reached my consciousness, but. I had, you know, no full appreciation whatsoever of them, and I am now really, really loving listening to them. And this is the first thing I think, talking about referencing something we mentioned earlier with the books uh, read that we can read together, that you have introduced me to, um, like, on, it feels like on this level, like something you were into. They're like, hey, Dad, you know, listen to this. Uh, there are things we certainly have discovered together, like all, you know, all the Marvel stuff. We kind of discovered that, but you also know more and deep dive in that. But this is something that, like, I don't know, this feels different, and I really love that it. I that I found separate from you and introduced you to. Yes, exactly. That's it. Uh, exactly. So I, I'm I, I I love that I love it. <laughs> you know, that it's been very very cool. And the documentary we saw, you know, again or. I well, guess film con- concert. concert film concert film and you know it's always you know you'd said like it was you know it's regarded as one of the best ever what is it don't uh, stop making sense stop making sense so uh, good so good it's, it it's is really so good it's like <laughs> i'm gonna use the word ineffable <laughs> it is ineffable to, to describe it it's <laughs> like because you're like while watching it you're like this is awesome like you don't know why you're yeah. enjoying it so much why is it so good what because it doesn't seem like it's some crazy outrageous film techniques and like the concert's cool but it doesn't seem cooler than other concerts you know that are incredible you know why so why is this concert film so much better than others and i still don't know why because it's ineffable that's awesome yeah so i think just stop thinking about it and go with the the flow of the Talking Heads' incredible, incredible music. I think that's a, I think that's a very good idea. All right, into the bowl, and we in shall be watching uh, American Utopia sometimes. Yes, into the bowl. All right, here's another uh, news-related one, and this doesn't just go for more recent news, but there's been a lot of news involving Neil Gaiman throughout the summer, and a lot of Neil Gaiman's upcoming projects. I'll go to list them. The Sandman TV series, the Sandman audiobook, <laughs> the Anasi Boys TV series, the good second season of Good Omens, and actually that that may be it, and what probably whatever book New Game is writing <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a lot. That's an absolute lot. So I'm happy for Neil. Uh, really looking forward to. I need to re. I need to read all of the Sandman. I need certainly need to reread the first. I believe his first, um, like for the uh, Amazon, like Audible Originals, like I believe that is now free right now. Really? Yeah. While because two just came out or is about to come out or something like that, the second part of their what they're doing. So I want to read and then I want to listen. Which features the voice of David Tennant in the second one. Yay, David Tennant as Loki. That's very cool. Yeah, and then the Nazi boys, Delroy Lindo. Playing a Nazi. Yeah, that's very, very cool. I, I dig him, and I'm looking forward to that. So, yeah, it's big Neil Gaiman. You know, we're fans, and he's and then, got a lot going on, so we've got a lot to be happy about. I'm a little... Are, are you hesitant about the second season to Good Omens? No. I, I'm, I'm not. I, I trust the people involved in the process, and I trust that... Uh, 
you know, you know, I, I trust that Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, when they worked it out, you know, what, what would be a second, second book that that's going to be there. And part of, you know, elements from that second book thing were in the first season of Good Omens, apparently. Like, um, I think John Hamm's character. Yeah. Cause he, yeah, he was not very present in the first book. Yeah. So I think, and they, but they got that from talking from that talk for that Terry and Neil had, you know, in the middle of the night when they were rooming together, you know, on tour. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm just excited. Yeah. Just, just excited. Yeah. We like gaming. Gaming. <laughs> yeah, we do. Do you think he has time to show on Doctor Who? For all this. Exactly. That's that's the only that's the only negative. <laughs> <laughs> that he's too busy. All right, looking in here. In the heights. In the heights. I like my coffee. <laughs> sweet. <and laughs> you shouldn't. You, we should have just heights. stopped there. Uh, um, in the heights. This reminds me of no sudden move in the way, and even more so. In the way that everyone loves this movie, except for us. Yeah, I wanted to love it. Really wanted to love it. Have history with this, uh, the play, and that we never saw it <laughs> as our history. But yet we lived in the Heights at the time, and it was advertised like on every elevator, every like just all over the place. And we wanted to see it. And you know, my uh, good friend loved it. And so still never saw it, so really excited to see it, and it just didn't do hardly anything for me. No, and this could be because we hate happiness, (laughs) but um, (laughs) it annoyed me a little bit with all like the, the impossibly attractive people. And impossibly clean clothes, like singing and dancing. And I know that's part of the appeal of musicals, but I was just like... Of a certain kind of movie musical, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I was just like, talk about something serious. And I guess they kind of are. But uh, I don't know, I wish they went more in-depth about it. Yeah, I just, you know, even the, like the songs weren't... Hold on, hold on. Lovely to me. Let me listen to my block. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well done yeah um yeah so i just the yeah i was just i was just underwhelmed I mean, of course part of it was that hamilton it was so great and you know the, that's but i knew that this came before hamilton you know so like i you know but yeah so anyway, i'm glad i saw it uh we did not see this one in the movie theater we probably should have uh but there was some covid stuff going on at the time I mean, there is now too, but it was where we, and it just made sense not to be in a movie theater, even spaced out in one uh, when the, we saw this. Um, or we just so did not want to. Too. That wasn't what it was for me. Um, well, I meant we did not want to. Oh no! Sorry, sorry. I probably shouldn't have said anything, but for some reason, like the way the way you were saying the COVID thing, like nothing really changed COVID-wise. We just didn't want to take that risk. Yeah, and no. we were in the Panhandle of Florida. Yeah. Where, you know, politically they're not really up on that whole vaccine thing. Yeah. You know, go team. <laughs> so, yeah. So maybe that maybe that restricted our enjoyment of it a little bit. No, like, I can see that. But even so, like, yeah, just this just, did, just didn't do it for me. My favorite part was the part with Lin-Manuel Miranda's character. Of, like, that kind of just, like, that daily grind 
kind of that I wanted the movie to explore more. I I, I guess I wanted the the movie to feel smaller, but I guess I can't really uh, dislike the movie for not being exactly what I wanted it to be. Yeah, I hear that. We gotta. Yeah, it's tough. To, you got to judge it for what it is, not what we want it to be, and that's hard to do, especially with the political climate right now and what's going on with, you know, uh, um, there's social rights. That's not the right <laughs> phrase. What the hell? What is going on? I don't right know. My brain just locked up. <laughs> but this was written in a very different time than what we're going through right now, and it just f- didn't feel like I want. It didn't feel as. Um, is 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 timely and poignant, but there's a reason for that because it was written, you know, ten years ago. Yeah, I felt like that uh, that meme, that kind of cartoon. It's like stop having fun. That's <laughs> yeah. like what I kept being like right. to, to this movie. But yeah, yeah, but but and luckily for the for the film, and luckily for other people, like they they were they've embraced that and enjoyed it. And I think I don't know if how it did, did it do well. Is it you know is it, it generally well regarded? Well. Huh? I, I think it did pretty well. People like it. Okay. Oh, good. Paper, paper, paper. Plan B. I guess oh, I yeah. will. Plan I will B. do it. You go, you go with it, but I remember it now. Plan B is a sort of uh, it's a teen kind of buddy road road trip movie, but instead of the normal when you think of like two uh, horned up guys <laughs> during the 80s and 90s it, it is to to two girls here it's in a similar vein to uh to book smart another movie that i enjoy just like i just like i enjoy plan b and it's it's main focus is it's comedy it has to do with uh looking for a plan b pill which because of a morality clause they cannot get so they have to go on this road trip to the nearest and nearest in quotation marks is decently far away. Planned Parenthood before twenty four hours is up, and the pill would not be effective. Yeah, so or as effective. Awesome premise, really fun, cool. I I I didn't remember this movie reading the title of it, uh, but now that I remember it, I have fond memories. I don't think I loved it. Yeah, it's not great, but it is fun. It was fun. It, it was, was really funny, and the ending's good with how they do deal with the stuff with the parents. I just feel like sometimes it's too. Uh, it's too positive. Like, there's a moment where they got... <laughs> I know, Back to that anti-happiness thing. Maybe we do just hate happiness. <laughs> uh, there's a moment where the movie kind of stops and, like, our two main characters separate. And that movie felt like... That part of the movie felt like... And this is actually the part of the movie that I think people like the most I've seen. It's just like, look at me. We're, we're the nice characters and we're... We're telling you all the all the things you know. We're we're changing your character. Like it felt it felt a little obvious to me, and I I felt like I I wanted it to continue being funny. <laughs> some of the character shifts didn't feel earned. No, no. Yeah. And there were some moments where it's just like like good and positive things are like always happening, and I just I I don't know why. Maybe maybe this movie this movie maybe I do just do just hate happening. <laughs> And I felt like, okay, I wish you would uh, go back to being funny and not trying to make us feel good. Right. I hear that. But generally, like, you know, if you got 90 minutes and want to see a fun, fun little, you know, fun little small movie, this would be a good one. To yeah, do, it's, a, fun, it's a good movie. I think book, I enjoyed Booksmart more, though. Oh, did you? Okay. I think so. 
All right, this is another really recent one too for us. Uh, at Zola. At Zola. This is another really good movie. Uh, it's directed by Janixa Bravo. Uh, and follows kind of this. It's based off of a, a tweet and kind of, or a Twitter thread. I should say, and uh, it kind of goes on this kind of stripper <laughs> weekend adventure that gets kind of dark, but still being really funny, and I just think it's really well made. It's a really good looking movie. Very stylized, in a, in a really fun way. I think the, the cinematography is like really good, where, where they place characters in the frame is nice. It's one of those things where like... It's definitely, I'm sure, I'm going to sound stupid saying this, because movies are a visual medium. But you can see how the how the visuals are affecting the story. Yeah, and it's heavily socially media influenced, and that they use that in part of, in the filming and the style. If they, there's, so the original Twitter thread, you know, it's, it's crazy and fun, and the voice of the person that wrote it is, you know, unique and fun. And they did a great job of capturing that in the movie. And they also did a good job of incorporating the social media aspects to it, but without without it being cheesy or forced. It was just cool, stylized filmmaking with, like, random sequences of, like, fantasy uh, involved and uh, clever use of uh, cuts to... To handle, you know, some of the the kind of the, you know, it's about you know stripping and, and and prostitution. So that can be hard to show on screen in a way that doesn't feel gratuitous or gross, or or even, but also the, or it doesn't shy away from it either. Like they really walk that line really well. Like it's really well done. Uh, I love the the strong kind of directorial hand that is involved in it. The performances were great. Uh, the story is fun and crazy and brings up social issues like in a real non preachy way. And, um, I don't know. I really, I really dug the film. I, I, I didn't, I didn't love it mainly because of the ending of the story it just kind of peters out to me. So they didn't nail the ending, but it's a, I thought it was a really good film. Yeah. I, I think it was really good. Um, the acting is amazing. You have a uh, uh, Taylor Page, I think, is the person actually playing Zola. Yeah, she was. There's also uh, Riley Keough as the other the other lady who kind of pulls her into this kind of stripper world. Elvis's granddaughter. Elvis's granddaughter. Yeah, this wow. is crazy oh, to think about. Wow. wow. Um, and I I kind of want to speak to what you're saying about like how it doesn't feel gross. I guess a movie about like strippers. I'm trying to think how to say this. It doesn't feel like male gazy. I think in a way that like it could be. Like I don't. It doesn't feel. I mean, it's good. It's about prostitution, about stripping, but it doesn't feel like over sexualized in a way that like. I don't know. I, I guess male, yeah. It didn't feel male gazy, and I think it, that speaks to the fact. That I think uh, I believe like the female director doing it and a female cinematographer doing it. I think it would be a much different movie. If, one of those two positions was male. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And also, I didn't mention. I don't know if you still have it up. the The guy who the actor who played X. Uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, Coleman. Coleman Domingo. Coleman Domingo. Man, really that good. Guy is really good. And these char- charming, fearsome. 
uh, lovable. Like he, man, he was he was dynamic. Yeah, the writing is so like witty, and and the characters because really we have our four major characters here, and they're just they really the writers uh, being Janixa Bravo and Jeremy O'Harris really know who these characters are. And it's just it's just a really great movie. You should really go and see it. Yeah, and the, I guess the fourth was well, we'll mention him too. Greg from Succession, who played uh, who plays that fourth member of kind of the, the four leads, who's a character I really love. He's my favorite character. He, you know, he plays this kind of henpecked, socially awkward, desperate loser. You know, for like shorthand purposes so well like you believe him you never once don't believe that he will let himself be walked on in so many different ways in a way like i think another actor like you you might not buy it yeah he I, just he's great i haven't seen we haven't seen any of his other roles besides this in succession but it feels like he's he's found like a i don't know if that's his thing like the people the people <laughs> the people in the industry know him as like that loser actor <laughs> Right, yeah, I don't know, but it's uh, getting typecast is, can be a wonderful thing because it gets you work, and uh, we'll see what else he ends up doing. But uh, he was everybody was fantastic in this movie. I yeah, thought. really good movie. All right, is this our last thing? No, we got two two things. Two oh, things okay. left. Yeah, I thought we just said one. First one being community. We've talked about community on the show before. At least I have talked about community on the show before. I really. Love the show, and you had never seen it, so we re- I rewatched it with you. Thank you for doing that. This is I guess this is another thing you've shown me actually with the, the Talking Heads as well. And I love this show. Uh, I've you know had heard about the fourth season slump, you know, and that totally existed. I saw that, and you know, six and seven were not as good as one, two, and three, but the, it was really, really. I just I think this show is awesome. I have a good time watching it. It makes me happy thinking about it. I love all the actors involved in it. Um, it's just really funny, and it's you know it's Dan Harmon humor, which clearly I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, with with uh, Rick and Morty as well. Tons of references. I love the reference episodes. You know, even the episodes that are straight. You know, that aren't like a complete homage to something else. Still have so many references within the dialogue. These characters that I just think is fabulous, but there are just some unbelievably great episodes but i guess and by references for those who haven't seen the show it's not like wow this is like blank tv show or movie it's really like they just do it <laughs> they do they just do the thing our, our favorite i think i don't know if it's both of our favorite episodes my favorite episode is an episode where they parody law and order and it's not like they're like haha like law and order is so weird and stupid they just do a law and order episode. right <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think that that is certainly one of my favorites. The My Dinner with Andre is one of my favorites. That homage uh, episode, uh, the paintball episodes, the Halloween episode. There's just so many, so many good episodes. Yeah, really. It's really, really fun. Really, really fun show. And now we have our last thing. I think I've saved this for last purposely. Did you really? How did you do that? Well, actually, well... Once I saw that it was one of the last things left, I kind of picked around. Okay, I got gotcha. you. So like, not oh, that bowl was filled. This was legit. Not from pulling the, from the bowl. Not from the very beginning. Right. Um, that is Bo Burnham's Inside. Oh man, what a great one to end on. This might be my favorite thing of the summer. Yeah, it might be my favorite thing of the year. I think it is my favorite thing of the year so far. I, I yeah, I, I may be right there with you. 
Uh, tell them. Tell me you want to tell them about it. So, it is a special which we are going to consider a movie for our conversations, even though it'd probably be better listed as a special. But if like, I don't know, if Hamilton can be some people's favorite movie of last year, why why can't this? This certainly can be. Um, and uh, Bo Burnham, who's a comedian. I guess I, I would say I was a fan of beforehand. I didn't like all his previous stuff. His special what I didn't think was all that funny. Uh, but I really loved this. It's much less focused on the comedy. It'd almost be disingenuous to call it a comedy special. Um, but it's got music and it's very poignant. It's about he did this. He filmed it and wrote it during the pandemic. And it's all him doing it he's lists i think there was a couple people that worked on sound but other than that it's him doing everything involved in the making of the special yeah it's there there's there's multiple levels and ways to to appreciate this thing one is on a how the heck did you make this thing by yourself thing level just it looks beautiful it does look beautiful and it's it's so inventive and what he shows you and how he pulls off these uh, really cool things. And what I like about it is it's in, as part of the special, it, it's almost like a, a quarter of behind the scenes footage, but it's actually just part of the special, but you get to see kind of how much work this was and how he did it. And it's so inspiring. And so like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you made this. And then just on a, like a material level, like the songs, the, um, the interstitials are just great. And it kind of just feels like on a personal level, it feels truthful to him and to so many other people's experiences of COVID. And then on a, a less personal level, on a political level and socioeconomic level, it's got something to say there too. And it also feels right with the zeitgeist. It feels kind of lined up with how I feel and looking around at the world right now. Like it just on all three of those levels, it was it just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, at, when we were done watching it for the first time, how many like two months ago, maybe I was thinking like I cannot wait for like twenty five, thirty years from now, and going to see this in a theater for like COVID cinema revival right night. And this, I imagine will be the main thing they show because it really captures the experience for a lot of people. And you can look at it on, you can look at it on different levels. Like you said, you can look on technical, how this is incredible. It's, it's, it's how did you do this? You can also look at it on a personal level for Bo Burnham. Like this is great and revealing about Burnham and this kind of Bo Burnham character that the real Bo Burnham creates as it kind of, we go deeper into his psyche and deeper into the pandemic during, throughout, as the special goes forward. But you can also look at it from like a wider, more poignant level of how it speaks to kind of all of this, how, how, how technology is, a is affecting us, how this whole, how our how our world is right now and it really feels like some like it really has a lot to say and is really correct with a lot of what it says about what's going on right now um and like the songs 
do this well. One, the songs are just abrasing sounding, but they're also like the the lyrics feel so like affecting and deep. But I just it feels like Bo Burnham's like he really really I don't wanna I don't wanna like push praise it too much, although obviously it's clear we really love it. <laughs> but I feel like Burnham really knows something about this era of history we're in right now and kind of says it perfectly in this special. I, I can't think of anything more to say than that. You, I think you just nailed it. The songs are now available on Spotify, right? Yes, there's an album of it on Spotify. But would you... I would recommend that someone watch the special and then go back and oh, listen oh, to the absolutely. songs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, don't than, watch the special before you listen to the songs. Yeah, don't do the songs first. They are good and they do stand on their own, but it's part of the whole... You know, it's almost like when you're making an album you know it's where he's put the different songs just feels right and so i would say definitely watch the special first this is on netflix correct and also like half of the songs is the great visual component yeah true is, is it netflix is it netflix it is netflix it's a um, netflix special yeah you're absolutely right for the visual component and again there's one one song that and he creates a lot of these lighting effects with the phone that he's holding and it's just so meticulously done with where the camera is and how he positions his body and the phone and the light sources. It just looks, it looks amazing. And you just, again, on that technical level of like how many takes must he have done to finally get that right is just daunting and learning the camera moves, learning the other little devices that he has that like, you know, sets up the atmosphere for the, for the studio um, and then yeah, and again, just the personal journey and the the larger picture stuff. It's it's really great, and yeah, it might be my favorite thing of the year so far. Also, yeah, It'll be. I mean, we're really excited for Dune, and there's a lot of great movies coming out the second half of the year. But I I find it hard that something's gonna beat inside. Yeah, I I'm right there with you. So that was our summer. That was our summer. That was our summer of culture. Uh, that was really fun to do. I enjoyed uh enjoyed recapping it this uh we will be back with more regularly scheduled podcasts we have a lot coming out uh there's a lot coming out that we are interested in and want to see and explore and read and do uh so thank you for listening and hank you want to anything else there's there's not much left next to say we should we should some of the stuff maybe we should talk about some of the stuff coming out soon in the, the future I know next week we have just just with the the Suicide Squad comes out. We'll probably record a podcast on that. Uh, Annette also comes out next week. We may record a podcast on that. But really, we're just going to be trying to. Do we really like doing this? And I I, I want to get back in the the rhythm of, of of talking about movies and other things. Outstanding. Me too. All right. As well, long as those movies aren't Jungle Cruise. <laughs> exactly. We will not be doing a Jungle Cruise. Uh, awesome. So until we meet again, thank you for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Owls on Culture podcast. Our theme music was recorded and assembled by Marine Sozier and Antoine Blanc. The show is produced by Pinecone Turkey. To learn more about Pinecone Turkey, visit pineconeturkey.com, where you can read the latest blog posts from the Owls on Culture hosts and 
can sign up for the Flock email, a twice a month newsletter that delivers a short film, poetry, a short story, and visual art right to your inbox. It's your monthly dose of art curated by Pinecone Turkey. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening.